right, so uh, today we're talking about pride. We're going to talk about killing pride in our lives. And I really enjoy talking about things that God kind of has me on the journey of dealing with in, in my life. I just, I think it makes it more real to, to really kind of draw from my experience as well from God's word to just teach about things that he's kind of walking through um, with me as well. So today we, we are going to talk about killing pride, killing that thing in your life that has the opportunity to undermine the things that God has set aside for you to do, the plan that he has on your life. Pride will undermine that. And I will tell you, um, my wife and I even had a little bit of a prideful fight while I was preparing for this message. So pride creeps in everywhere. And I had to humble myself and apologize to her. So it's something that we continually deal with in our lives all the time. And and so I'm on this journey too, and I just wanted to share with you guys a story in the Bible um, and a couple of things about pride that really will help us kill pride in our lives. And as you can tell by, by the video, you know, there are different areas that we might be prideful in. There are different areas of our life that, that we kind of um, hang our pride on in our lives. And it might not be the same for everybody. There's always a couple areas of our life that we want to be known for, that we want to, to, to kind of have our identity hang on. And we're going to talk about that. Um, a little bit today, but one of the things that um, pride does is it ultimately will push God and others out of our lives if it goes unchecked. That's one of the things that pride does, and and we're not talking about like the pride that you have in in your children, like you're 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 happy that you have kids, you're proud of the things that you do, but we're talking about the type of pride that causes you to yell at your kids when they embarrass you in the grocery store, right? I'm sure all of us have experienced that in some way. We're not talking about the type of pride you have in your kids when they play sports, but the type of pride that it gets to a place that you overcoach your son, maybe. I'm sure you guys have all seen this, where, where you can coach other kids just fine, but when it comes to, to your kid, it's like the family name is hanging on whether he can hit that baseball off of a tee and make it to first or not, right? And you want to turn his jersey inside out and hide the family name, right, if it doesn't do it, because maybe you blew a hamstring in, in high school or something, and you didn't make it to that potential in sports that you thought you could, and you're like, man, he's going to re redeem the family name. Uh, I'm going to put all my chips in here, and so it causes you to maybe overcoach him a little bit. We're not talking about the pride that you have in your husband and your wife, but maybe the pride that keeps you from apologizing to your husband or your wife, or the pride that maybe keeps you from having the conversation that you need to have with your husband and your wife. Because, I mean, after all, he was 95% wrong and you were only 5% wrong, right? So he should be coming to you in this situation because the percentages are a little bit off. We're talking about that kind of pride. We're talking about maybe not the pride that you have in your work, but the type of pride that when you get a promotion over somebody else, or you see somebody turn an assignment in late that it's that little part on the inside of you that kind of rejoices a little bit in the failure of others. And you might not like it. It might be something that you, that you just don't like that you do, but inside you kind of smile a little bit when something happens to somebody else. Maybe that in your mind you think deserves it. That's the type of pride that we're talking about. And if we aren't careful, if it goes unchecked, it's something that will shut God and others out of our lives. We never want to hand pride the remote control to our life. And I believe that pride really uh, begins with the way that God has created you and me. And, and I want to say it like this. We all have, cre uh, we are all created with an appetite to be known. Everybody say that with me, an appetite to be known. 
an appetite to be known. Each and every one of us were born with an appetite to be known. We want to be known for something, and we want to be known by somebody. We all want to be known for something and by somebody in our lives. We want to be liked. We want to be befriended, mentioned, followed. If you're on social media, that's exactly what you want, right? I mean, today, after these services, maybe not first service, but definitely second service, somebody is going to go to hometown. They're going to take a picture of their food, okay? They're going to post it on social media to see how many likes, follows, mentions, right, that they can get, how many friends they can get based on their slice of pizza and how good they did at taking a picture of it, right? It's everywhere. All of us want to be friended. We want to be liked. We want to be followed. And maybe if you don't connect with that vernacular, we'll, we'll say it like this. All of us want to be recognized, admired, sought after. And we might not say it, but sometimes we want to be envied. We want to be sought after, admired, recognized, and sometimes envied. But that's why, that's why we bought that car that we have, maybe, right? And that's why we keep it really clean on the inside. It's just mint condition. It's just spectacular. Not mine. If you see the inside of my car, definitely don't take pride in that. But, but maybe that's why, you know, we bought that car. Or maybe that's why, as a, as a wife, you stop your husband before he goes out the door and you say, honey, that still doesn't match, right? It didn't match last time you tried to put stripes and plaid together. It's not going to work this time, right? And really, you might not say it like this, but it's like, I don't care if you look like a dweeb if you're going out by yourself, right? But if you're going out with me, like, I need you to be presentable, right? I don't, I, I don't want it to reflect poorly on me, right? I want people to recognize, admire, and maybe even envy, envy me, not pity me. And if you wear that, they're going to pity me when, we're, when we go out together, right? Maybe that's kind of, kind of the way that, that you... Uh, want to be recognized and be known for, or maybe this. Maybe it's uh, one of the one of the things where uh, when people come over, it's like we act a different way than when people aren't at our house, right? And it, and your pride and and you want to be known when people come over to, for dinner that that man the kids are walking the line, right? They're pushing the dinner table up. They're like, Mom, may I do the dishes, please? Right? Where other ninety nine percent of the time that's just not your reality, but that's what you want to be known for. And we get really weird sometimes because we bank our self-esteem off of the way that other people act or see us. But I believe that God has created you and me this way. There's, there's a little bit of Lady Gaga, and if you don't know who that is, that's completely fine. You're probably better off not knowing. But there's a little Lady Gaga in us all. We kind of live for the applause, applause, applause. And it started from a really young age. How many of you parents have heard this? Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Watch this. Three seconds later. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Watch this. And then again, a thousand times over. And you really just want to pull it over. I've seen, seen this happen. I've had little cousins and been around kids a lot. And you just want to pull them over and be like, Jimmy, it's the same every time. You get up on the couch, you jump over the Cheeto and land on the floor, you scurry back over, you hop back up on the couch, and you do it all over again. Or it's you jump off the side of the pool, you go under the water, you come up, you swim to the side, and, and again and again and again. It's the same thing, but it's, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, watch this. It's because they want to be known and recognized by you as a parent. So it starts at a young age. 
And the next thing you know, it's, it's that coach that they're looking for that recognition from. And then it's a set of friends. And then after that, it's another set of friends. And then it's that boy. And then it's that girl as they get older. And then as we become adults, it's a whole different audience. It may be the approval of your husband and wanting to be known by your husband or, or, or at work for the work that you do, the hard work that you put in. Or maybe it's wanting to be known by your kids and looking for that approval and the satisfaction of your kids. And I believe that's the way that God created us, but I think we have to look at it from a standpoint of whose applause are we listening for? And here's the reason that I think that it can get us in trouble. Our desire to be known can get us in trouble because of this, and it's because it's an appetite. We have an appetite to be known. Everybody say appetite. We have an appetite to be known. And here's the thing that's true about appetites. If you've gained a few pounds in your life like I have, you know this about appetites. The more you feed it, the more it grows, right? The more you feed it, the more it grows. A little bit isn't enough. And that's true of all appetites. And it's definitely true about our appetite to be known. As you feed it, it grows. It's never fully and finally satisfied. It's not this one and done kind of thing. It's the nature of an appetizer. It has to continue to be fed. And that's why more friends, more fans, more followers aren't going to be enough, right? The, the thank yous and the appreciations and the accolades and the recognition that we get that we so desire that God created us to want to be known will never be enough the more that we gather friends and fans and followers. And so if that appetite's going to keep growing and it gets the opportunity to become an unhealthy thing, we have to be begin to look at this from a different standpoint. And so here's kind of the, the tension that we're going to talk about is just kind of a statement that kind of brings us to a head of what we've talked about so far. And then we're going to dive in to a story in the New Testament about John the Baptist. And we're going to learn a little bit about he dealt with how he dealt with his knownness because he was very well known and we all want to be known, but how do we deal with that? How do we keep pride from getting a foothold? How do we kill it before it undermines the good things that God has for us to do? So here's the statement right here. There, and stick with me. It's a little confusing at first. We're going to read it a couple times. There is no amount of known, right? So there's no amount of accolades and, and recognition that we can get. There's no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for the thing that you've determined that you want to be known for. A little confusing. We'll break it down. So there's, there's no amount of recognition and accolades that you get that will fill that appetite to be known in those areas of your life that you really want to be known for. So for me, I, in my life, have taken a lot of pride in the work that Jerusha and I do as videographers, the work that I do here at church, the creative things done. These are things, my, my, the outdoor lifestyle that I live with, with hunting and hiking and all the outdoor stuff that I love to do. Those are the things that I've taken pride in. Those are the few areas of my life that I want to get recognition and accolades in. I want to, to, to put in the hard work and kind of get to the top in those fields. That's why I shoot videos. We submitted some to a, a film festival that's going to debut this year. Like Those are the areas in my life, the few things in my life that I want to be known for. So I have to put that into perspective. There's no amount of recognition that will fill that appetite to be known in those areas of my life. So what, what are those areas in your life? Just think quietly to yourself. What are the things that maybe you have hung 
your identity on in your life that could possibly um, get a, allow pride to get a foothold in your life. Just think about that for a second. Like I said, mine are my work, the work that we do here at church, the outdoor things that I do. Those are the places that I want to be known. But I have to understand that there's no amount of known that will fill that appetite in my life. It's a bottomless pit. So for whatever you want to be known for at work, whatever you want to be known for at home, as a parent, whatever you want to be known for around your friends, right? We had labels in high school. There was the funny guy. There was the party guy. There was the crazy guy. There was the guy that was always late, right? Whatever we want to be known for in our family, our friends, our work, there's no amount of accomplishment that will fill up our known bucket once and for all. And it's one. Of, it's an interesting thing because I've, I've, as I've kind of recognized pride in areas of my life, um, pride causes you to act really weird and get a little strange, honestly. And I'll, I'll tell you from my perspective. So I have an extremely supportive wife. Um, she, she's amazing. And anything that I do, whether it's put together a video for a client or if I put a lot of time into a message on Sunday and spend hours putting it together and, and studying afterwards, she's always like, honey, that was great. Or that video w was awesome, right? And I kind of have learned to like kind of rely on that on that pat on the back a little bit because I love it. She's my wife. I want her to to think what I do and the work that we do together is great. And so anytime I put something together, uh, I'm I'm waiting for her to get home from work. Did you watch that video on Facebook? You know, did did you see did you see what I put up? And there are very few times that she forgets. But those times that she forgets to say something, I get weird. Like, it's like I'm sitting at home and she walks in the door and I'm like, I'm just like a dog, right? I'm panning. I'm just waiting for, for her to say something. And if she doesn't, like if 10 minutes, 15 minutes goes by, I'm like, something was wrong. Her phone had to be dead. Her phone was dead. Her phone was dead. That's the only reason. No, 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 that might not have been it. Somebody took her phone. A dog stepped on it. A horse stepped on it. It's gone. Like, that's the reason they did it. Nope, she's mute. She lost her voice. I'll give her a notepad. Maybe she can write what she thought about the video, right? We get so weird with pride. We get so weird. And you know what? She just forgot. She watched it at lunch, had a busy day, and didn't get the opportunity to tell me. But I allowed pride to paint this picture that wasn't reality in my mind because I didn't get kind of that pat on the back that I was looking for. So how do we deal with it? We're going to look at John the Baptist. How many of you guys have heard of John the Baptist by a raise of hand? Right? A very well-known guy. Here's a good way to put it. We'll do a raise of hands here. In 2,000 years, how many of you guys think that you might still be talked about by people? No? All right. Uh, 200. 20? <laughs> two, right? Maybe. Maybe two. So here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about this character in the Bible. And so... Um, this story of John the Baptist, it's kind of talked about in several books um, in the New Testament. And so we're going to jump around just a little bit. But this is really going to give you guys an idea of how to deal with your knownness. So how to deal with it when you're, when you're the hottest thing on the market and you're the top salesman in your work, all the way to when that season of life fades and maybe you're not known for those things anymore. How do we deal with the levels of knownness in our life? So we're going to start in uh, Mark 1-4. We're going to jump around a little bit, so all the verses will be up here. Um, if you don't have an opportunity to follow along, it might be a little tough. But we'll start with uh, Mark 
And Mark kind of makes it sound a little bit mysterious here. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the reason this is a big deal is that nobody up until this point in history had baptized somebody else. There was a ceremony uh, that the Jewish people did that was a ceremonial cleansing where they dipped themselves into the river, but up until this point, nobody had baptized another person. And John the Baptist started doing this out in the wilderness. So this was a big deal. It kind of created a little bit of a stir. We'll go on to verse 5 next there, Levi. And this statement, the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, if you were reading this just on your own, you would look, blow right past that part and go on to the next verse. But this is a big deal because if this statement right here, the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. If that's truth, then thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people went out to see John the Baptist. And if you're coming from the city of Jerusalem, uh, I have a study Bible that was talking about that. If you're coming from the city of Jerusalem out to where John was baptizing, it was a three-day event. So you get up, you leave when the sun comes up, you get there where John is when the sun comes goes down. The next day, you listen to him teach. People get baptized for a whole day. The next day, you got up, you left when the sun came up, and you got home when it came down. So it wasn't a casual event. People were spending three days at a time walking to listen to this man speak, to get baptized by him. And so it was a very big deal at the time. And it was such a big deal that people began to wonder if John the Baptist was the Messiah. Right, just drawing huge crowds at these events. And people began to wonder because there was such a stir that was there that they hadn't felt in a long time. And so we're going to skip over to John chapter 1, verse 15. If you'll put that one up, Levi. So thousands of people are coming to him. John testified concerning him, which is Jesus, and he cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. A little confusing, right? If you thought my statement was confusing at the beginning, this one's a little confusing too. He says, he who comes after me, she's talking about Jesus, he who is coming after me, I'm preparing the way for him, is greater than me because he was around long before I was. He's talking about, about Jesus here. He's beginning to pave the way and kind of point the direction, the people's attention towards Jesus. Skip down to verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So people begin to ask, who are you? Are you the Messiah? John's, no, I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? Because at the end of the Old Testament, they said when God began to work in his people again, it, things would be like they were in the days of the prophet Elijah. So a lot of people at that point thought that maybe Elijah would come back from the dead or there'd be another prophet that was similar to him. So they're saying, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? No, I'm not. And then verse 22, finally they said, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? That's the question that we're asking here today, right? What do you say about yourself? So this was John's opportunity. He's drawing huge crowds of people. He's baptizing them. They know he's not the Messiah or the prophet. So this was their opportunity. Who are you then? For him to say, I am John the Baptist. I'm kind of a big deal, 
right? You see all these crowds coming in? They're drawn there. I'm baptizing. I'm kind of a big deal. That was his opportunity to say, I am John the Baptist. Let me stamp my name on it so that you know who I am. But John's response is beautiful in verse 23. John replied, and he kind of hijacked some words from the prophet Isaiah. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight for the way of the Lord. John's a popular guy. He's drawn all kinds of crowds and they say, who are you? And he said, I'm just a voice in the wilderness. I'm just a road sign, right? I'm a road sign, one of those annoying ones with the arrow that blinks at you while you're driving down the road. I am a road sign pointing to Jesus. All this knownness and attention that I've created is to make him known. And the Pharisees pry a little bit more in this story in verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. So if you are not the Messiah, then why do you baptize? If you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. He said, I baptize with water. And then John replied, but amongst you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, who the straps of his sandals, I'm not worthy to untie. What humility. John had. What humility that he had in that statement. He's like this, listen, there's one coming after me. You think I'm a big deal? You think me drawing these crowds is impressive? You think I'm a big deal? There's a guy coming after me that's going to blow your minds. I'm just a warm-up band, Jack. Wait till the main act gets here. And he's pointing towards Jesus. He had a ton of attention and opportunity to stamp his name on something. And he's saying, "There's guys, there's one coming after me that I'm not even worthy to be a servant. I'm not even worthy to untie sandals. We jump down to verse 29. This was the next day. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And I assume here, John's in the middle of teaching. He's got a crowd. It was day after day after day that these people were coming. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world pointing to Jesus as he, walk, as he walks up. Drop down to verse 35. The next day, so the next day after that, John was there again with two of his disciples this time. So just like Jesus had disciples, John had some followers, some people that helped him out. And he's, sorry, again with two disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they left and followed Jesus, right? So John's doing his job. He sees Jesus again. Look, the Lamb of God. Look, he's just pointing. And two of his disciples that were with him from the beginning, that were helping him out, took off after him. They're like, listen, is this is the guy that comes after you, but he was here before you and he's greater than you. If all those things are true that you told us, then see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. We're following that guy over there. And you would think at this Point Because if they followed Jesus, they had to unfollow John. And that's got to sting a little bit, right? If you guys ever been unfriended on Facebook and you're like, man, what did I do wrong? You know, what was that all about? But it had to sting a little bit. And you would think that at this point in, with John in this story that he would maybe start getting concerned a little bit. I'm losing followers. I'm losing the people that, that are coming because I'm teaching and I'm baptizing. I'm losing a little bit of that. But what we're going to see in this next portion is it didn't bother John all that much. But it bothered the people that followed him, his closest friends, more than it did 
John. And so we're going we're gonna to pick up in John chapter 3 where his friends are kind of trying to encourage John a little bit, kind of pat him on the back and like, man, this thing's falling apart. We're just going to try to encourage you a little bit. John chapter 3, verse 26, he said, then, came John, then they came to John talking about his closest followers and said, Rabbi, which is a term of respect and endearment, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, look, he's baptizing people. Like John, he's baptizing people over there. Like that was your gig, right? That was what you did. You're John the Baptist. He's Jesus the, we don't even know he doesn't have a title, right? You're John the Baptist. Like, God, I can hear the conversation. Like, we need to step up your game. Like, maybe we can try a double baptism, you know? Maybe a triple if we can get three people. Oh, I got it. What if we build a portable baptismal, right? We bring it closer to the city so it doesn't take three days for people to get to us. There's got to be a way that we can step up our game and get your accolades back, get your knownness back to these people. And John's response is huge. John's response is brilliant and powerful. And I want you guys to pay attention because this statement that John makes right here, if you're the top dog in your sales department, if that's what you've decided that you want to be known for, God's gifted you to do that. If you, whatever you want to be known for in life, if you're at the, the pinnacle, you're at your prime and you're just killing it in life and it's going to teach you how to take all those accolades, maybe the best looks and the, the best mother of all time, right? Those moms on Facebook that post all that stuff and they do videos on like how they, you know, raise their kids and stuff like that. Whatever area you're at in life, if you're at the top and you're just killing it in life, it's going to teach you how to deal with that and not let that go to your head and undermine God's plan for your life. And then reversely, maybe those days have kind of come and gone a little bit for you. Maybe, maybe you're out of, of kind of that work it, kill it at work, be the best in, in school, be the best at your job. Maybe you're, you're out of that and you're in a different season of life. It's going to teach you how to hold on to the right things because that season is going to come. Life is ebbs and flows and I'm not always going to be the best in my craft. There's going to come somebody that's younger than me, that's better than me. And it's going to teach me how to hang on to the right things. So when those dips in life come and those phases in life come, that we're not holding on to that image of what we thought that we were. It's going to teach us how to deal with both of that. So let's go down. John chapter 3, verse 27. I love his response. To this, John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. So here he is. His disciples are freaking out, right? We got to do something. We got to step your game. And John says, guys, I can only receive what's given to me from heaven. And you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I was sent ahead of him. What's John saying? All this attention that I have came from God. Every bit of, of the crowds that I was gathering, the things that I were doing came from God and were for God. And so when God placed those things in my hand, I give him glory and I don't freak out about it. And when that season of my life comes and goes, I don't try to hang on to it and I don't freak out about it because it was from God and it was for God. Amen? It was from God and it was for God. All of my knownness is a gift and I won't make the mistake of thinking that it's all about me. That was John's attitude. All my knownness, all that attention was a gift, and I won't for a second think that it was all about 
me. And then John in verse 30 says that big statement that we all have heard. He must become greater. I must become less. So what this means for us as Christians is that our knownness is to make him known. Period. Whatever you're known for, for however long that you're known for it, Cody the videographer, whatever it is, however long you're known for it, for the people that know you as that person, every bit of that is to make God known. And if you want to get weird like I was with my wife when she didn't tell me she liked the video, then try to hang on to that knownness because it's something that you never had control of in the first place. Because every gift, everything that I can receive is a gift from heaven. The family that you were born into, no control over that. The place you went to school kind of had control over that, but my parents are like, you're going here. right? God places us in this life, gives us these skill sets and these desires to follow these things in our life. They're all gifts from heaven. So we have to come at it from the standpoint that all of my knownness is to make God known. And so I put this statement together right here. Know who it's from and who it's for. That's how you and I survive being known, is to, to know who it's from and to know who it's for. Remember who gave you the gifts and the abilities and the looks and the talents that you have, and then make sure you work those out for God's glory. Because if we do that, then just like John, God can put in an immense amount of knownness in our hands. God can put place really big things. If we're faithful in the small, then we'll be faithful in the much. If we are faithful with not allowing pride to take a foothold in our life, God can place an immense amount of knownness in our hands and know that it won't undermine his plan for us. That it won't go to our head. That pride won't kill God's plan for our life, but we will kill pride. Another way to say it is like this. Our known is for his renown. Our known. Have you ever known somebody that lived like that? Because we've all seen the people that, that scramble for what they were previously known for and their identity hangs on the wrong things. But have you ever seen somebody that lives like John the Baptist did? I want to live like that. To say, I'm just a road sign to God in every area of my life. I'm going to tell you a story real quick and then I'll let you go. Um, I said, you know, my work, my video work that my wife and I do, we have a video production company, if you don't know, and we do videos for clients and brides and all kinds of really, really cool opportunities. And um, I remember once there was this bride that contacted me, and I don't get nervous too often because a lot of the people we're dealing with don't know much about video, right? They know they want a video, and they might have an idea of what they want, but I have way more knowledge about video than they do. That's why they're hiring me. Uh, but this particular bride that hired us went to school uh, for digital broadcasting and video production. So first and foremost, I'm like, oh man, I didn't even go to school for video production and, and, and video, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even go to college for it. So automatically, I'm like kind of on guard a little bit. And she's like, it, it's really important. We're from Chicago, getting married in Indiana. Can we, you know, do a video chat, a FaceTime? And I said, yes. And she laid out very, very, very specific things that she wanted. Um, to the point that I was a little bit worried that I was not going to be able to, to provide her with what she wanted. She would send me videos, other videos that she'd seen. I really like this. 
and I would love to see this in there, and I really like how clean this video is. And she was just really, really set on what she wanted. People only get married once, right? So for me, I'm like, if I mess this up, we're done, you know? And so we, you know, back and forth the contact, and I was really nervous about it, and I even shared with Jerusha, I'm like, I'm a little bit nervous about it. But we went, and we shot. They were a super nice couple, but just really high standards. And uh, we got back. I put it together, and I thought it turned out fantastic, right? I'm kind of pat, I was kind of patting myself on the back. I'm like, that's a good video, you know? That's a good one. And um, some time passed, and I sent it to her, and kind of like what happened with Jerusha earlier, they were gone on their honeymoon when I sent them the video, right? So it sat there for a long time without a response to me, right? And so I showed Jerusha, and you know, just in the fashion that she is, that's a great, that's great, honey. That may be the best one that we've ever done. And I, I appreciated that, you know? And then I would show my parents and some other friends of mine, that's a really, really, really good video. And, and I appreciated that. But who did I want to hear from? I wanted to hear from Casey, right? The girl that, that hired me to do it because she's who I did it for. Right? Everybody else, the, the other you know, comments and stuff, it meant something. But I wanted to hear from her, and I was getting a little nervous because I hadn't heard from her in a couple of weeks. And she was like on top of her email game. Like I would send it, and in 10 minutes, she's replying to my emails. But it was like crickets when I sent her the video. But I wanted to hear back from her because she is who I did it for. And so some time, you know, kind of went by, and, and I was a little bit nervous. And finally, I get some emails uh, back from her. And I think I might have a couple today, if I can find them here. Let's see if we can put one up. <laughs> put that first one up. I think it's just number one. Oh, yeah, there it is. All right, so this is the email that I got back, right? Every shot was perfect. The slow-mo of the guys walking, the car shots, everything. All my coworkers are currently crying and in love with the video. They said it's the best that they've ever seen. Thank you guys so much. I've shared it to Facebook, just beautiful. And then the second one, she responded again because I was a little slow. Oh, this is all just a dream. I can't get over how amazing it turned out. All of our ideas that we discussed just worked so well and felt so natural. Thank you guys for bringing our dream video to life. We'll keep our eyes out for it in the mail. And this means a lot to me, this email. Because she had high standards, and she was who I was creating that video for. And I thought, what if this was our perspective as believers? That God is who we're living this life for. In everything that we do, that we check, is God truly pleased? Right? We check our inbox to see, is God pleased with the way that we're living our life is what I'm doing pointing to him or pointing to myself. And so what does this mean for us as believers? And then I'll, I'll pray. Practically, this means that you and I get up every single day and we kill it. We outwork them. We outsell them. We, we outstudy them. We go to school, whatever season of life we're in. We get out there. We give our best. We develop the gifts and talents that God has given us. And when we get home, we sit back and we listen for the applause of heaven. Right? We take all the others. Drusha said that video was great. I appreciated it, right? You're people you want to be known by, and that's not wrong, but ultimately, whose applause are we listening for? What audience are we living for? And it should be him. And in the end, 
The New Testament writers tell us that we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You killed it. Let's kill pride in our life and be a beacon and a road sign that points to God in all we do. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are faithful to your people. You know us the best, God. You designed us a certain way, Lord. You know how we think. You know how we tick, Father. And as we go through this life, I pray that we would be reminded who gave it to us, who it's from and who it's for, and that we would just pour out our lives as an offering to you, God, that we wouldn't get caught up in the rat race of life and we wouldn't get caught up in being better than somebody else, but we would just live our lives to the best of our ability, following you, guided by your Holy Spirit. And then at the end of the day, we would just sit back and listen to what you have to say about us, God. God, we desire to live like John the Baptist lived, to be road signs and that to understand that our knownness is to make you known. Our known is for your renowned Father. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people that you are with us every day and your mercies and grace are new every single morning if we choose to walk in them, Father. God, you are great. You are worthy. You are an audience. The audience of one, as your word says, that's that's worth us living and pointing towards in this life so other people could experience you the way that we've experienced you and we can live a fulfilled life. God, I pray that this is not just something that we hear, but we begin to evaluate our lives, that whatever season that we're in, and we begin to just look at it through the lens of, am I pointing people to you? We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.